Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Saints in Society. I'm your host this time. My name is Brad and I'm here with Rick. And today we're talking about conflict. We're going to talk about conflict in the context of the local church and how we think uh, Christians should go about engaging in and resolving conflict with one another. So I'm excited for our conversation today and excited to have you with us. This is Saints in Society, a podcast with an aim and focus on equipping saints to live in and engage with their society. With help from experts and through diving into the word, we seek to learn how to engage culture in its terms, but not of it. We believe the gospel speaks to all areas of life and provides the answers we are looking for. So we aim to equip saints with applying the gospel to our lives, living as saints in society. Brad, question for you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. In the form of a question? Here's, I like that. Here's my question. So you're out and you're at a talent show mm -hmm. and randomly you get called up on stage mm -hmm. and you don't have a choice. You have to perform a talent at the talent show. Okay. What talent are you going to perform? You pose the question like I have a list of talents <laughs> to choose from. <laughs> um, I can't sing. I can't dance. I'm average about, at most things. My gosh, this is depressing. <laughs> you ask. What would you do? I think I would do stand-up comedy. Okay. I, I would try. I don't know that it would be that funny, but at least I could try. Either that or uh, if I had a recorder nearby, <laughs> I do know how to play a couple songs on the recorder. Oh. Actually, I only think I know how to play one song, What's but that? I actually think <laughs> Three Blind Mice. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally... Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> All I said is that I know how to play it. And the thing is, is I actually think that would kind of be funny Yeah, that if you be. did that with a straight face. M maybe my last option would be, what is it called whenever, uh, an interpretive dance. Maybe I would do an interpretive dance. Oh, I don't want to see that. Yeah. Because again, it's art, so you can make it whatever you want. True, yeah. No yeah. one can tell you it's bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry that you didn't have the you artistic lens to see yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the beauty of what was just <laughs> displayed on stage. <laughs> yeah. Did I ever tell you, I think I told you about the one guy at our old church, because Hallie always corrects me on this. I don't know what else to call them, but we had essentially like a dance team for our church. For church. A couple times a year, they would do interpretive dance. That's what I call it. She said, it's not called that. They would just do dance. However, they would perform a couple times a year. Complete honesty. If I had brought someone to church <laughs> on that Sunday, like a guest or a friend, I was so embarrassed. It's kind of yeah. like when your pastor is going to be talking about money or giving or finances, like you just get that oh, awkward. I think. And so when, when that team came out, I would be like, oh no. But one time they performed and there was a guy sitting next to me. And after the dance was over, just like most of the dances, I was like looking around puzzled. I'm like, I have no clue what that was about. The guy next to me was bawling or he was just crying. And, and uh, Dang, I looked over him. at him. I know I looked over <laughs> at him and he goes, that was beautiful. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what was, <laughs> but damn it was. So were they like interpretive, like interpreting through dance, like a worship song? Or? I, I think so. Yeah. But I, I mean, it wasn't like an actual worship song was playing. It was just music and they were dancing and, wow. and it wasn't like, I mean, they were dressed appropriately and, 
they weren't doing like some sort of crazy dancing, but they were doing something. And mm-hmm. I don't know if any of them listen to this podcast. So I want to be careful how I frame it. All that to say, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Not interesting. Weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. You inspired me a little bit. Okay. I could maybe play the drums. What? Uh, you can play the drums? Dude, I was in a band in middle school. No, no, no. That wasn't the question. <laughs> But that was my answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I could, I could hold my own, but I wouldn't. Wow. I couldn't do a super good job. Okay. Uh, drums or cajon. Stand up comedy was a good one. I feel like if uh, if you or I were in the audience of that talent show and you or I did stand up comedy, we would only, laugh a only, lot. <laughs> we would only be laughing at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then uh, karaoke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I could do some karaoke. Yeah. All right. Yeah, talent shows have always been very anxiety in, inducing producing inducing in me because i just average at most things <laughs> there's nothing that really stands out so maybe that's a talent being average. good enough at a bunch of things you know? yeah um all right well today we're going to be talking about conflict specifically conflict in the church uh and how christians should deal with conflict uh you said this the other day when we were talking about this episode that and you were using it in the context of marriage uh, i think it's tim keller who says that the, the way he knows that him and his wife have a good marriage is because they argue because mm-hmm. they fight because there's there's conflict i think we live in a world where conflict is seen as a bad thing and so conflict is a red flag that a relationship there's something wrong in a relationship when the reality is is conflict is inevitable uh conflict is more than inevitable. We would say even it is a good thing and that Mm -hmm. it is healthy for a church family to engage in conflict. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be problems. Conflict is inevitable. And so it's actually a good thing that we deal with those. And so uh, we're going to talk about how to do that. Yeah. I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I, I would also add to that in the context of marriage, I think the presence of conflict is a good sign. I think there's two extremes. If there's an abundance of conflict and there's constant conflict, I would say it's a bad thing. I would say if there's none, what's not being talked about, right. what's being swept underneath the rug. Mm-hmm. I would say the same thing inside of a church family and church staff. If there's never any conflict that's being talked about or worked through, then are you is is it a is it a fear-based culture? And so you can't bring things up that could possibly cause conflict or what's going on. And so if there's too much of it. Why is that? If there's none, why is that? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think there's a healthy balance that a healthy church family has conflict yeah. that we're working through. But in our culture, I think that we see conflict as a really, really bad thing. In fact, when it happens, I think everyone is so flustered by it because it's so rare that we don't know what to do with it, that we're just trying to figure out how to make it go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Cool. Well, where where do you think we should start with a conversation like this? What What's ground zero foundation? I'm going to say the Bible. Yeah. Well, I'd have to disagree with there. <laughs> All right. Where are, you, where are you going in scripture? Yeah. I think first, even as we just finished up the podcast, I don't know what, what order it's going to be in, but we were talking about reformed theology and we're mm-hmm. talking about total depravity. We're talking about sin. I think that anytime we talk about conflict and anytime we're going to approach this subject, we, we always have to understand this, that the reason there's conflict is because we're sinful people living in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And so... Sadly, I think too often we think conflict is is only the result of someone else and what they're doing and not something that's within me. 
And so I like what James says in James uh, chapter four, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Right? So James poses a question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And I think this is, this is important because even parents of children, whenever we lash out, whenever we scream, whenever we lose self-control, our, oftentimes our response can be, or we think, you made me do this. But in all reality, what is happening is that there's sin within us and the sin within us is actually making, it's exposing. We're at, like, our kids don't have self-control, neither do we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our, our kids are acting out. And so now we are doing the same thing. It's because we have sin within us. So I think the first place to start is that there's conflict inside of the church because we are still on this side of Christ's return in, in, a, in a body that is wrestling with sin and not just an individual body, but a corporate body in the local church that is wrestling with sin. And so to, to say there's never any conflict, I would have to ask, does this group of people understand how devastating sin is? Do they understand yeah. the way that sin impacts relationships? In fact, look, look at the letter to the Corinthians. We were at a conference recently, we, you and I, mm-hmm. To where the one pastor said that uh, this letter was written to give like encouragement to every other pastor or church planner out yeah. there. Because <laughs> if, you think, if you think your church is bad, <laughs> yeah. it's not as bad as Corinth. But the first quarter of the letter, the first four chapters, Paul is addressing unity. He's addressing division that is happening inside of the church. And so mm-hmm. he's showing, look, there's conflict happening. And he's showing like Paul could have jumped anywhere. He, he could have jumped to the weird relationship that we see in chapter five with the you know, stepmother, he could have jumped to all the sexual immorality. He could have jumped to a lot of stuff. Paul starts off with, we need to address unity. We need to address conflict. So sin is, is, is the root of conflict. So we could start there, but then why does Paul put such an emphasis on addressing that first? And I think the, the church needs to be the place where how to deal with conflict and have healthy conflict is supposed to be modeled to the world. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says, by this, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And so if we are at conflict and at war with one another, but yet the church is supposed to be the place that reflects the love of Christ for one another, then that's the first thing that we need to address. We need unity. We need to work through the conflict. We don't need to run from it, but we need to learn what it looks like to engage conflict in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, you said a few things that made me think a bunch of different things, but first back to that James passage, usually when we can think about conflict, we end up having conflict because of what someone else did or has said, or because of like the problem is over there. Mm-hmm. And so now we have conflict when in reality, like what we have to first understand is we're at conflict with one another because of sin that exists in our own heart. Yep. Um, so th- there's that initial understanding as Christians. I was also thinking in Corinthians, Paul encourages the church to settle disputes like within the walls of the church. Don't go outside to outside sources to settle these disputes among you, settle them within the church. And so there's, there, there seems to be, according to Paul, and I think we could just look at scripture in general, there's going to be a different way that Christians handle conflict than the world outside handles mm-hmm. conflict. And so there's a, we we have to be able to acknowledge that there's ways that we can go about conflict differently than the world because of who we are in Christ. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. And Paul says that. And I mean, Paul gets it from Jesus. J- Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go 
and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And so naturally when there's conflict and sadly, when, when we have an offense or something like that with someone, oftentimes our natural response is not to go to that. Like, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that someone has come to me and said, Hey, so-and-so did this to me, or Hey, so-and-so said this, or I have this problem with this person. And my first response is, have you talked with Mm -hmm. them? And so the first response, sadly, it seems like for many Christians is I'm not talking to that person. I'm talking about that person to someone else. And it's like, that's, that's where things instantly go wrong. I know that even recently there was someone from our church who called you because they had an issue with how a decision was made or navigated in context of our small groups or something mm-hmm. like that, right? What a good thing to know that that brother in Christ decided to call you first and say, yeah. this, is my, this is my struggle. Let's talk to this. And I'm always encouraged to hear when, when people address people head on, instead of going around and, and talking about these things, they actually desire to be at peace with their brother or sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. They desire unity. They have, and again, unity isn't just about me and Brad being unified together. It's a much bigger picture. It, it's saying that I care about, I care about unity with Brad because ultimately I care about God's glory. Secondly, I'm fighting for unity with my brother Brad because I, I'm, I'm concerned about his faith and his relationship with Jesus, not just my own, but also. I'm concerned with how this impacts our whole church family. Like I'm willing to lean into Brad or whoever I have conflict with, because I understand not doing that is actually going to have an impact on our church family at large. And by modeling that Brad and I can do this and that other people can do this, then our church starts to be, our our church is a place that now can navigate conflict. And Mm -hmm. so again, it's a bigger picture than, you know, you've hurt me and I need to go to you. Uh, We want, I want to work through this because I want God to get the glory. I want to fight for my brother or sister in Christ. And I don't want this to be something that the enemy can use to put a hindrance for what the local church is to those outside of the church. Mm-hmm. And again, this is from scripture. It says in second Corinthians five seventeen through 20, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen here. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. He's writing to the local church. Mm -hmm. God making his appeal through the local church. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So if we're ambassadors for Christ and God's making his appeal through the local church to the rest of the world that doesn't know him, then me being at conflict with you and having disunity is much bigger than just you and me. Yeah. It's something that's impacting our church family, but it's also something that's impacting our mission to the world and how the world is viewing and seeing the local church. Like, are we petty in conflict? Do we mm-hmm. gossip? Do we slander? Do we do those types of things? So, and if, if our, if our, the message is one of reconciliation, which I think you could define reconciliation as a restoration of relationship. Mm-hmm. If reconciliation between us and God is our relationship being restored, and then we are to go preach that same message of restored relationship, but we are at odds with That's one good. another, then the message we're proclaiming doesn't it holds less water. What, some of the better advice that Jenna and I have received in marriage, I think it was like maybe in premarital counseling, and it's come up time and time again. It's like there's going to be times in your marriage where it feels like your spouse is the enemy and you have to remember you're on the same team. Mm -hmm. Like when you're fighting, you're not fighting 
against each other. Yeah. Like you're fighting with each other for, for greater unity. And I think the same is true in the church. Oftentimes when conflict comes up in the church, it's all of a sudden that person is the enemy. We are fighting against each other when in reality, we're on the same team. We're you know? on the same team. Like we're on the same team and restoring that, rec- reconciling that relationship, restoring that relationship, bringing unity through conflict is going to actually help the church do what the church is supposed to do rather than viewing each other as the enemy when, yeah, we're, we're supposed to be doing this together. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the enemy's ploy is... Which is why Paul wraps up the letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and toward the end of that letter, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy wants to convince the local church that my greatest problem is flesh and blood. It, it, it's another human. It's another person inside of the local church. And, and Paul's like being so direct. That's not where it's at. The enemy's trying to convince you that. And mm-hmm. so... When we go, yeah, well, I'd go back to your point. When, when we engage people, even on theological stuff, the question has to become, why am I doing this? Why am I engaging conflict? Why am I leaning into to someone? Why, why am I pressing the issue? And if the answer isn't, I'm doing this for the glory of God, then why are you doing it? And, and, and if you're pressing something because you're fighting for yourself to be proven right, mm-hmm. then again, that's you loving yourself. It's not actually you loving someone within your church family. And so in a theological debate, our, our aim and goal in a theological debate, it can get heated and passionate. There can be conflict, but our goal needs to be this. I'm debating this for the glory of God. And I'm also debating this because as Paul says in Philippians, I have your interest in mine, mm-hmm. not just mine. And I want you to think theologically accurate. And if I'm concerned that you're not, then I'm not fighting just for myself to be proven right. I'm actually fighting for you because your knowledge and accuracy on God is vitally important to me because it's also vitally important to our church family. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> with some of that kind of groundwork laid, conflict is in- inevitable. Conflict shows a sign of health. We should be able to deal with those conflict or with, with conflict within the church. Uh, we're on the same team in that. Okay. Now let's do it. How do we deal with conflict? Where would you go? Would you go to some practical steps of like, how do we engage in that kind of conflict or, or how would you encourage someone, challenge someone to actually go about doing this? Yeah. I would say a a few things first. There's two approaches to conflict. There's the avoidant approach, which if at its core conflict is there because sin exists and sin at its core is selfishness, then avoiding is not me engaging you. It's selfishly isolating myself, running from it because I actually don't love you enough to work through this. I actually love myself, which presses into a whole another idol of comfort. Mm -hmm. I loved being comfortable. Conflict makes me uncomfortable. And I love me being comfortable more than I love engaging you and working through this. And so there's that avoidance side, but there's also the codependent side, I think, to dealing with conflict. It's that you're, the reason you're dealing with conflict is that you can't be okay with someone not forgiving you or being okay with you. And so you're actually not engaging them as a means to love them. You're engaging them because you don't you want to feel good about yourself and know that the, that you have this relationship restored or something like that. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, the reason that you approach it is I'm codependent. I can't operate or possibly think of my world existing without us being okay. And so I'm engaging. And I would say the gospel speaks to both of those. Uh, so to the avoidant person. How? Yeah. <laughs> and in this, I, I can move toward you, Brad without feeling like I need something from you in order to be okay with myself, including forgiveness. Like 
boy, I can't live life. And I can't imagine going on without you forgiving me. It's like, I am forgiven by the ultimate person in all of creation, all of the universe. The ultimate forgiveness I have, I have by God supplied to me through Jesus Christ. Mm. I have all the worth I need. I have all the satisfaction I need in the approval of God. So when I engage you in conflict, it's not to make me feel better about myself or to get something that I need for myself. Christ has already supplied that. It's actually, I'm engaging this conflict because right now I'm battling to see you through the lens of the gospel, through what Christ has done for you, what he's made you, but also in the same way, I want us to fight to see one another that way. And I think avoidant, how the gospel speaks of that, Christ stepped toward pain, toward discomfort, toward the cross. He didn't run from it. And so I think the gospel empowers us to lean into those types of things. So the gospel gives me identity. It gives me worth. Uh, and it gives me the forgiveness I need so I can lean into conflict without going, boy, I got to do this so I can feel good about myself. But mm -hmm. it also, it gives me the boldness to do it because I go, Hey, the greatest fight that's, that's ever been fought or that needed to be fought is not right now with my brother and sister in Christ. My blood pressure is rising. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm fearful. And the reason why is because I'm, I'm entering this fight or flight mode or method right now. And then I can breathe and remind myself, I'm not at, I'm not at war against my brother, sister in Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ fought that war on the cross. So I wouldn't be at war with my brothers and sisters in Christ. He tore down that dividing wall of hostility. I can have peace with God and now I can have peace with my, so I don't need to enter into this conflict thinking like it's fight time. Mm -hmm. The greatest fight, fight has already been fought and it's not here. It's not now. So it gives me a sense of peace to not run from it, not be codependent in it, but to engage in it in a loving way. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think we want so badly for people to be okay with us. Mm-hmm. We want to be at peace and know that people approve of us one way or the other. And if an issue comes up between us and someone we want to be okay with, well, I just won't bring that up. I'll mm -hmm. avoid it. Or I'm going to bend over backwards and like make sure that we're okay. Even if we don't actually ever deal with, that'd be like the codependent, you know, we're going to make sure we we're okay with each other. Even if we don't ever actually deal with what yeah. the conflict's about. Um, and, but like you're saying, the gospel speaks into that and, even if no one in this world is okay with you, at the end of Jesus's life, no one was okay with him. Like yeah. there, there was no peace in the relationships. His disciples were afraid and left and were scared and denied him. He had his mom and his best friend at the cross. Yeah, And so he knows what it's like to have people, even God the Father, like not okay with him. Mm -hmm. And he went through that so that we could be in a relationship with him where He's always okay with us. Yeah. Like, like there's, there's, there's always peace, always approval, always acceptance. And so we, as much as I think it's good and healthy for us to be at peace with people in our life, at the end of the day, we don't need those things. Mm -hmm. We already have all the approval we, we need in Christ. And so yeah. then we can engage in conflict in a way that like our life doesn't depend on it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I, I think now that I'm processing conflict reveals so much about where our true belief, trust, and hope is. Mm. Because if you are someone who doesn't want to engage in conflict, there's a likely and good chance that the reason why is your, your belief system is Christ's approval of me is not enough and I can't possibly bear or handle the thought of someone rejecting me. And so we don't engage conflict because rejection hurts and it's painful. 
But honestly, what makes Christ approval and acceptance of us even more sweet is sometimes when we do actually face some of that rejection. And so I think it reveals a lot about love, specifically that we're not that good at loving people. We're really good at loving ourselves. And so I don't want to do this because it would be really hard, make me uncomfortable. Well, that's me loving myself. Well, I don't want to do this because I could be rejected. Well, I'm, not, I'm again, that's me loving myself and, and, and wanting. And oh, by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong when we engage conflict to just simply say this. I think this is helpful. Hey, I'm really nervous right now. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not good at conflict. I don't like conflict. My voice is shaky. My palms are sweaty. My heart is racing. And, and just be honest and say, I think I'm fearful of engaging conflict with you because I don't know what sort of ramification it's going to have on our relationship. I'm fearful of stepping into this right now because I'm afraid of losing you. But I also know this, that that I'm called to to be about God's glory more and I'm called to love you more than I love myself. So I just know I'm, try, I'm trying to step in faithfulness and boldness to have this conversation with you and to actually love you more than myself because I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good and healthy thing to say and even talk through and navigate through people with that because... Yeah, go ahead. It's healthy. It's also disarming. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, yeah. If, you, if you come in with that kind of honesty then no one feels the need to like yell and get big and like, we're going to war. It's like, nope, like we're just scared, fragile people here that are going to try to figure this out. And I'm super nervous about it. It's like disarms the room and like, okay, like let's work through this in a way that uh, with less heightened emotions, I guess. Yeah. It also dealing with it, going back to how it impacts the church family is, are you able to be present at church and, and ready and eager to, to listen to the word of God and to declare through singing the truths of God. And are you, are you ready to be present by loving and serving others on a Sunday morning when the only thing you can think about is, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be here this morning. Mm-hmm. Will I avoid them? Will I talk to them? Will I look at them? Will they look back at me? It's like, do you see that? Mm-hmm. And that if more and more people do that, think about the dysfunction that creates. That is selfishness. Instead of saying like, I, you know what? I mean, this is why Jesus also says in Matthew 5, if you have something against your brother, say brother or sister, leave your offering at the sacrifice, go and be reconciled to them. So that's in the form of worship. It's in the form of talking about the temple. Mm -hmm. But in order for you to truly worship and be present, and the only thing you're thinking of while you're singing is, oh my gosh, there's so-and-so over there. I remember they said that to me and that really hurt me. Then, you know, they, the sad truth is, is, they might have not even meant anything bad by it, mm-hmm. or they're not thinking about it at all, but it's disrupting you. And then therefore you're having a hard time being present to love and serve others because you're being consumed by that. Yeah. It's almost like the Bible is also very practical <laughs> as well and, <laughs> yeah. and helpful for us in this. And so I think it's just a very loving thing, not just for this other person, not just for me, but again, it's like, man, I'm going to do this because I actually love and care about my church family as a whole. And yeah. that's why I'm going to deal with conflict yeah. is, is that I, I want us to be a healthy family. I'm, maybe they're thinking the same thing they are. And so I'm going to lean into them and hope that they'll lean into me. You don't have to become best friends with, with conflict. I go back to what a, a lady who I love and admire, who is a Messianic Jew. And she said, it's almost a bit of a bummer, the plethora of churches we have in our cities today, because she's like, for so long, Jewish people had one synagogue. So they had to learn how to have conflict debate, disagree with one another, because you could only come back to the same synagogue the next week. Now, sadly, what people do is if there's any conflict inside of the church, they don't lean into that. They don't work through that. They don't learn what it looks like to wrestle with one another. And what the hopeful outcome is, I'm not just fighting for me, I'm fighting for you. I'm, mm-hmm. We're fighting for one another, all for the glory of God. 
we just say, well, I'm just moving on. I'll just go to the next church until there's conflict there. And then I'll just go to the next mm-hmm. church and the next church. And, and it's like, we don't actually grow. And I would say some of the people that I have the most conflict with are some of the people I have the best relationships with because yeah. we're, there's this whole concept of let's spur one another on mm-hmm. iron sharpens iron. Like, like, like let's. And there's no anxiety in the relationship about like, Oh, did I do something to offend them? When you know that if you did, they'll say something, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, been processing this as you've been talking. We we mentioned you and I've been talking about this in another context. How rich ecclesiology leads to what was what's the adjective? Rich missiology. Yeah, rich ecclesiology leads to rich missiology. Yeah. How a a rich and full and thorough and deep view of the church that's ecclesiology study mm-hmm. of the church leads us to a rich and deep and full view of missiology, the mission of God. I yeah. think th- that's similar here where a rich view of ecclesiology is going to lead you to engage in conflict mm-hmm. because I think a low view of the church is I come, I sit by myself over there. I don't engage with anyone because they're, I'm upset with them. And then if I get upset enough, I just leave and go down the street to another church. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very low view of what the church is. It's a very selfish totally. view of what yeah. the church is. And so I think in a lot of ways in at least the Pacific Northwest, potentially the West in general, uh, modern Christianity, just this really low view of the church that leads to a lot of dysfunction. And I think the inability to handle conflict is one of those dysfunctions. Yeah, I fully agree. I think the question then becomes, okay, great. I've heard this now. How do I engage? Yeah. But like, like how do I go to my brother, sister in Christ? I think it's also a good place to even start with. Why did it bother me? Because sometimes we, feel disrespected and, and and what we do is we lay some sort of claim and right that that, that we have to being respected mm-hmm. again i'm not saying that it's fun to be disrespected but but sometimes we go no one should ever talk to me like that no one should disrespect me and it's like well christ was disrespected and he was the king of the universe you mm-hmm. know and so sometimes we're engaging conflict and it's strictly about just i wasn't talked to the way i should have or yeah. and, and so i think even our approach in that needs to be again why am i ha- going into this for the glory of god for my brother and sister of christ for unity or is it just because i don't like the way someone just my image my reputation exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. but galatians 6 1 paul says this brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you again talking about those that are caught in a transgression you who are spiritual should restore him with the spirit of gentleness so you who are spiritual well again this is where the gospel and grace speaks to conflict because it says you who are spiritual. Well, who, who, who are the spiritually mature? Matthew five, Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those that understand when they're engaging conflict, that I'm not superior that, and you're not inferior to me, that, that I am, I'm spiritually helpless and hopeless apart from Christ. I am engaging you in conversation on equal ground that, that I have sinned against God, that you have sinned against God. I have hurt other people and, and I am not above you. I am not beneath you. We are both children of God. And so my spiritual maturity is not, I'm awesome. You're not, I'm engaging you from this self-righteous position. It's I'm engaging this knowing that, that apart from Christ, you and I would both be lost apart from the grace of God. There is no hope for us. And so I engage conflict. I engage someone caught in a transgression out of that spiritual state. It's that we are both on equal playing field, even though you might've done something that was more mature, you might've done something harmful or hurtful. I'm engaging with this mindset and this thought, if Christ didn't step into my life and save and redeem me, I would be lost and hopeless. That humbles a person with how they engage this. And so I'd say, 
That's how we do it. We, we do it with gentleness. Again, I'm reiterating, but the gospel speaks to fight or flight because that's what we do. Fight. You've said something now. I'm, I'm in fight mode. Whoa. Why am I in fight mode? Because I'm, I'm defensive because you're coming after my image. Again, my, my, my reputation, my, my blood, blood pressure is rising. Well, this isn't my fight. My fight is not here with flesh and blood, with my brother. Literally, the greatest thing in all of the universe that we could ever share in common, we have that in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not where my fight is. Jesus fought the greatest fight for me. And so I'm not at war with my brother. So I can, I can breathe. I can calm down the flight side. I don't have to run from this because of the courage that I have in Christ and who I am as a child of God. I can lean into this. The spirit of God empowers me. I can lean into this sort of conflict. And so that's what I would say. I think so much conflict happens on the internet nowadays. Like conflict happens in relationally disconnected environments Mm -hmm. where you can just say whatever the heck you want and there's no consequences. There's no physical consequences, no relational consequences. So when you actually have two people that have a relationship that is not online and there's conflict People don't know how to deal with that because it's easy to yell and scream and fight on the internet. Oh yeah. But then face to face, it's like all of a sudden there's consequences for. It, I'm glad you brought that up because we deal with that. In, yeah. in, in other words, I try to say this after a lot of sermons, but if there's something that that we preached or that I preached or said that you disagree with, you have questions on, please come up and talk to us. Like we invite that. Mm-hmm. It's funny how oftentimes people are willing to write a long email. Mm-hmm. And, and engage that way. But are you willing to come in and let's mm-hmm. talk through this? It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. So the way that yeah. we have learned to deal with conflict is not actually through face-to-face human interaction where we can see each other's emotions and even have to face the consequence of, I'm saying this. Now I see as I'm saying it, how it's actually impacting yeah. you mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so maybe I'd say this, that if you're someone who maybe feels a little bit compelled or convicted by what's been said, then my encouragement or challenge or exhortation for you would be to lean into it. And maybe for the first time, step into some of those difficult conversations and some of the conflict and see what God does with it in your heart, in their heart, but also collectively in your whole church family. Cause maybe, maybe you doing that is actually going to lead someone else to be like, I'm glad you did that. Cause I also need to do this. And I think just a ton of health, can be brought in the family. And then I think what you do is ultimately what Christ did it on the cross in Colossians 2. It says that he disarmed the rulers. Mm-hmm. I think we start to disarm the enemy when, whenever the enemy is like, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm putting these little things in there between this relationship, this relationship, and, and then this is how I'm going to divide this church family. When we step into that, we're like, nah, you're not winning. <laughs> you yeah. know, like we're going to lean into this. We're going to love our brother and sister in Christ. We're going to work through this. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Thanks, Rick. I think this was really helpful and I think super important and relevant to just the church today that we need to engage conflict with uh, our identity root, firmly rooted in Christ. Uh, that has that will have a lot to do with the unity of our church, but then also the effectiveness of our, our mission in the world. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, if you have questions, complaints, concerns, episode ideas, please reach out to us. Uh, the email for that is, should be in the show notes of wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us and we'll catch you next time.